Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. We are continuing through our Season 15 Hall of Fame episodes. Thanks for joining us today. We are delighted that you are here to hear about a true dancing queen. Holy cats, this week I'm bringing you the young and sweet Dig in the scene, dancing queen, Ginger Rogers, up and down the aisle five times with spider webs and more magic than you've ever seen coming in an episode. There really were a lot of spider webs in this one. Alicia, do we have some faces appearing in our magic mirror? We absolutely do. Before we start the episode, let's give some huge thanks, enormous thanks to our newest Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thank you so much to Jessica, Tiff, Kelly P, Lindsay F, Katrina G, Rebecca P. Two new super supporters as well, Megan C and Kim R. Holy cats, y'all are fantastic. Thank you so much, all of our Patreon supporters. I got one other special name Mm -hmm. in the Magic Mirror this week. Stacy, we were in very good company this week when our little Trashy Divorces podcast was put on a top 20 list by our friend Lauren Hubbard over at Town & Country. Indeed. Thank you, Lauren, for the shout-out. Grateful for that appearance, and thanks to our listeners for giving us that fantastically great news. Mm -hmm. Holy cats, it's been an enormous week. It has, it has. So, with the Dancing Queen, you know, you can dance, you can jive. You can go, go, go. So, Alicia, today you are inducting a dancing queen into our Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. I am. Ginger Rogers is best known for her legendary dancing performances with Fred Astaire. Yes. However, Ginger Rogers was much more than a famous performer's dancing partner. After she went out on her own, she was one of the biggest and highest paid Hollywood stars in the 1940s and would continue to work for decades. Lady is enormously talented, consummate professional. Ginger Rogers dances her way into the hearts of America. Fred Astaire said that she was the only partner he ever had that never broke down and cried Hmm. from hours and fatigue. Yeah. In fact, Ginger would keep dancing even when her feet were bleeding from all of the rehearsals. Never complained. Studios at the time... Didn't think it was super important that you have shoes that fit, which left her little shoes and feet really ripped up by the end of the day. Goodness, Ginger Rogers, forced to be reckoned with in her personal and professional lives both. Over the course of a career that spanned more than 50 years. You ready for these totals? Ginger Rogers made over 70 films, 7-0, started numerous plays and was a frequent guest on many television shows. She will win the Academy Award for Best Actress for her work in the film Kitty Foyle in 1941, and Ginger Rogers works with and basically knows everyone in Hollywood in between the 1930s up into her death in 1995. This is a spider web of an episode. There's a lot to cover, and we're not even done. We're going to have a spider webs on Patreon this week with all the follow-up we could not get in this one. Okay. Holy cats. 
in her personal life, which is what we're here for. Ginger Rogers was married five times. Yeah. But never had any children. Ginger was also a lifelong committed Christian scientist. That's interesting. She is devoted to her religious beliefs, and that is one of the reasons that Ginger Rogers never drinks alcohol or smokes cigarettes. In addition to her marriages, Ginger was romantically linked with many of the most eligible bachelors of her day. We've seen a few of these along our trashy roller coaster ride. But Ginger, although she did have a fair share of disappointment in the marriage department, the girl always keeps on dancing. She's a dancing queen. Ginger Rogers will write in her autobiography, Yes, I have some failed marriages, but I always love being married. Being a companion with a husband was as natural to me as breathing. Hmm. Ginger will also admit that her life in show business made it, quote unquote, double hard to maintain longevity in a relationship. Let's get into it. Virginia Catherine McMath was born July 16th, 1911. Only child. Virginia's parents divorced when she was just a baby. Not only divorced because dad wasn't done, dad will try to kidnap the baby not once but twice when she was still a baby. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that was kind of a high conflict split high there. High conflict mm-hmm. split. So when Virginia is nine years old, her mother remarried a man named John Logan Rogers. And after her mother marries John Rogers, the family moves to Fort Worth, Texas, Virginia would call her new stepfather, Daddy John, and take on his last name of Rogers. There is a younger cousin in the mix that is unable to pronounce Virginia, hence Ginger. And so from second decade on, Virginia Catherine McMath is now Ginger Rogers. Okay. Doesn't take long. Age of 14. Ginger is discovered when she wins a Charleston dancing contest. This would have been 1925, so right on time. Wow. Ginger then becomes a touring performer with vaudeville acts and other productions. And then Fred Astaire sees her talent and will begin to champion Ginger for film roles. We have to get there first in the love department. Let's Mm. meet husband number one. Jack Culpepper. Okay, I'm scared because you started this with when she was 14. (laughs) Right. We'll see Ginger Rogers meets her first husband, Jack Culpepper, when she's 12 years old and still going by Virginia. Okay. Little Virginia has first laid eyes on Jack Culpepper when he was her Aunt Jean's beau. See, Jack and Aunt Jean would spend their evenings on the front porch swing, and young Virginia would try to find reasons why she had to go out on the porch. And when she was there, she would make sure that Jack was paying attention to her. Yikes. Virginia finds Jack fetching to look at. But she's also very taken with his whole entire name the way you are when you're 12, and you write your beloved's name mm-hmm. a thousand times. His name is Edward Jackson Culpepper. Ginger Rogers will write in her biography. 
It conjured up images of a dashing young southern cavalryman <laughs> singing Dixie astride a horse. Which maybe isn't the thing you really want to go for, but she's 12. Yep. And doesn't know any better. But Jack, for his part, is a professional performer. He doesn't go by Jack Culpepper. He has a stage name. Jack Pepper. Jack Pepper here. Wow. And it's so close to being a cheese. Pepper Jack. Jack Pepper. How can I help you? All right, so poor Virginia. After all the porch, falutin, look at me, Jack Pepper doesn't pay any attention to Virginia because she's a kid. Mm -hmm. He doesn't show any interest in the very underage child, which... I'm relieved to hear. Hey, good on you, Jack Pepper. (laughs) But that's going to change in a few short years. Mm -hmm. Because the next years are super eventful for our Virginia. Because now Virginia starts going by Ginger, and she keeps honing her dancing skills and winning Charleston contests. And once recognized for all of her dancing talent, Ginger begins traveling with different groups and performing, and is eventually drawn onto the stage alone. So it is in 1928, while sitting in a dressing room in a Dallas theater, There was a knock on her door, and she asked who it was, and the voice said, It's Jack Pepper, Ginger. I've come to say hello. Needless to say, Virginia, now Ginger, a little more grown up, is thrilled to see Jack Pepper again. Hello, Jack Pepper. And since Jack is also a professional dancer, soon, why not, the two begin performing together. Dancing. Okay. Within a few weeks on the road... Jack proposes to Ginger. Her mother thought Ginger was far too young to get married, but Ginger was pretty strong-willed, and Ginger's going to marry him anyway. So on March 29th, 1929, Ginger Rogers will marry for the first time at the age of 17 to Jack Culpepper. The ripe old age of 17. All right. Dancing queen. 17. It is unsurprising that it's only a few months before Ginger Rogers realizes that she has made a terrible mistake. (laughs) And Ginger and Jack will separate very soon after the wedding, although their divorce does not become final until 1931. So just a brief flash in the pan, as it were. That's Jack Pepper. That's husband number one. Husband number two, Lou Ayers. Lou Ayers is a big deal in Hollywood, but let's get there. 1933. Here's Ginger. She will snag the leading lady role in a film called Don't Bet on Love. Ginger's super excited because she is going to be co-starring with Lou Ayers. And Lou Ayers is Ginger's idol. Poster on the wall time. Long time crush on the actor since seeing him for the first time in All Quiet on the Western Front. Lou Ayers is a big deal. Ginger will write in her memoir. I fell in love with Lou Ayers' image on the screen, and the dreamy aura of the teenager was still with me. I had built a romantic fantasy about a man I had never met. I was truly smitten with Lou's good looks and the smoldering glances he gave to the various females playing opposite him. I mean, we've all done that. You are in love with this wholly fictitious idea of your poster on the wall. Oh, yeah. So on the day prior to filming beginning, Mm -hmm. 
the telephone at Ginger's place rings. Ginger's not home. Okay. Ginger's at the salon getting her hair done for the movie that's going to start tomorrow. But Ginger's mother answers the phone and Rod- Roger's household. <laughs> Lou Ayers is on the phone. Hmm. Holy cats. Ginger's mom is like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, Lou Ayers. I've seen your poster on the wall. Mm-hmm. Ginger's not here. She's getting her hair done. But how about I give you the number of the salon so you can just call her there? So he does. Lou Ayers calls up to, you know, Betty's bouffants <laughs> and uh, says, if you have nothing better to do tonight, Ginger, I'd love to take you to dinner. Maybe we could drive up the beach and find a quiet little restaurant along the way. Sounds good. Ginger Rogers is 100% yes. She'll accept the invitation. Mm-hmm. On their drive up to the coast, they will pass many quiet little restaurants but Lou Ayers and Ginger Rogers are so engrossed in their conversation, they will not stop. Finally, Lou Ayers will reach a beach overlook. They stop the car and the two get out to look at the ocean. Ginger will write, The next thing I knew I was being kissed, and I loved it. <laughs> Lou Ayers turns to her and says, You certainly have extraordinary powers to shake a fellow up. Ginger was also thinking that she had never been so rocked by a kiss before. And then they begin to kiss again, and a lady from the car behind them will yell, That was an earthquake! Get off the embankment before we're all rocked into the ocean! Wow. (laughs) So maybe the problem with Pepper Jack was just timing. (laughs) That's an earthquake! Get off the ledge. It is on November 14th, 1934, that Ginger Rogers is scheduled to marry for the second time (laughs) to Lou Ayers. Hold up, got some fun spiderwebs. Ginger Rogers' agent at the time is Leland Hayward. Hmm. And Leland Hayward says, hey, Ginger, I'm going to escort you to the wedding. Leland shows up to Ginger's house on Dundee Drive in a limousine to take her to the church. When he gets there, it is said that uh, Leland Hayward hugs Ginger Rogers as if she were going away to war. Ginger's mom walks in, sees the two of them hugging, and says, I thought Ginger was marrying Lou today. And Hayward replies, you've got it all wrong, Leela. Ginger's marrying me today. I'm going to convince her that she shouldn't be marrying an actor but a very stable agent. The two get in the limo. Leland Hayward says to Ginger Rogers, now let's talk seriously. You know you're making a mistake, don't you? Mrs. Leland Hayward is so much more euphonious than Mrs. Lou Ayers. I'd make one whale of a husband, and I have never been more serious than I am now. Let's turn the car around and go to Santa Barbara. Will you marry me? Oh my God. Ginger refuses his offer. We have talked about Leland Hayward. I'm pretty sure he had already been married to Inez Gibbs, who went by the name of Lola twice. Leland Hayward will go on to marry Margaret Sullivan in 1936. After that, he will marry Keith Slimhawks, one of the swans in 1949, to end up marrying the 
ever infamous Pamela Harriman in 1960. That's where I was tying him to. Spiderwebs. So once Ginger gets away from Leland Hayward, as well as the photographers that surround her limousine, the ceremony does go well. The newlyweds had their reception at the Ambassador Hotel. They will celebrate with 250 of their closest friends. And Ginger's happy, so happy Mm -hmm. and in love with her new husband. He loved how intellectual she was, and they'll share a similar sense of humor. They will soon move into a new house in Beverly Hills on Roxbury Drive. And while Ginger is very much in love with Lou, by 1936, so... Like two years? Two years, yeah. Their marriage was in a little bit of a trouble spot. Hmm. Ginger Rogers will say that one of the major issues in their marriage was the prenuptial agreement that Lou Ayers insisted that they make. Now, you know, in today's world, a prenup is a pretty wise and common approach to take before marriage. Mm -hmm. But in the 1930s, it is highly unorthodox. Yeah, this seems ahead of its time, honestly. It makes Ginger feel uncomfortable. It kind of looms over her. So Lou Ayers had decided that they should be financially independent from each other. So Ginger Rogers pays her own bills. They both split the monthly expenses. They do not combine bank accounts. For Ginger, this is in direct conflict of how a marriage should be. Gotcha. Okay. Although she will sign the document of her own free will, she will admit that the prenup agreement had always made her doubt the depth of the real love that was in their marriage. She will write, As it began to dawn on me what I had gotten into, I began to feel the sting of impermanence. Most women want a sense of home and family in their marriage. This signed paper kept me suspended in midair. With this document standing between us, I saw that I had unwittingly fallen into a pit of convenience. Hmm. It's not unreasonable. That wasn't the only problem, though. Mm. Another constant issue between the couple was Lou Ayers kind of like to party. Uh, and our Christian scientist, Ginger Rogers, not much for the party lifestyle. Let's, you know, we're in the 1930s mm-hmm. with Hollywood and its heyday with Not just parties, but lavish and glamorous parties with a lot of drinking. Like you just mentioned, Ginger's religious convictions will preclude that she does not participate in drinking alcohol at all. Ginger's complication was that Lou liked drinking alcohol so very much. Right. In May of 1936... Ginger Rogers will decide to leave Lou Ayers. Although she's still very much in love with him, the divorce, just like the one with Jack Pepper, won't happen for a number of years. But hold up, hold up. Get out your jewelry, Therese. Oh, no. Because during her separation from Lou Ayers, Ginger Rogers has a tumultuous affair and will eventually become engaged to... Howard Hughes. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Hold on, that's this is, coming. This is the dude who would wander around parties with a jewelry tray as his way to talk to, to beautiful women. <laughs> we got a whole Howard Hughes angle coming. Hold mm. up, though. Ultimately, the differences 
between Ginger Rogers and Lou Ayers will cause the two to divorce in 1940. But even after the divorce, Lou Ayers holds a very special place in Ginger's heart. Roberta Alden, this is Ginger Rogers' longtime assistant, will say after Ginger's death that Ginger had told her, Roberta, that Lou Ayers was her one true love. Hmm. Later in the life of Lou Ayers, he would say the following about Ginger Rogers. She was a wonderful woman, a very lovely girl. We were both so busy. She was so busy at that time. We were just torn apart, making films, and she was going this way, going on location, and I was going here and going there. And then we finally said, this isn't working with us to live this way, being two actors at the same time. Maybe it would be easier. And she went to stay at her mother's house for a while, and then time went on and we drifted apart. She's still a marvelous girl. I think a great deal of her. She's a wonderful woman, and I think she thought I was all right, too. Marriage number two, out. Now's a great time to take a break. When we come back, we are going to hear about the relationship of Howard Hughes and Ginger Rogers. Mm. Holy cats. See you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Alicia. So <laughs> it's too much. We've it's got just too much. Ginger Rogers and the eccentric billionaire or whatever, uh, <laughs> the Elon Musk of his day, perhaps Howard Hughes. Shortly before the official divorce from Lou Ayers, Ginger is being romanced by the very rich, very elusive bachelor, 
Howard Hughes. You can say from the beginning that Howard Hughes's behavior was odd. He would call <laughs> early in the morning and talk to Ginger's mother. Not Ginger, Ginger's mother. I like that she returns to live with her mother in between marriages. <laughs> Howard Hughes calls up Ginger's mom and would tell Ginger's mom the plans that Howard Hughes had made for he and Ginger. Hmm. An example goes like this. He would say things like, wake up, Ginger, and tell her we're going for a ride in my new plane over the desert. I want her to see the wildflowers because they're so pretty this time of year. Then we'll have lunch at the Hotel de Coronado in San Diego and maybe play a round of golf before we come back to L.A. In the beginning, this had some charm. But eventually, Ginger grows tired of never being consulted on the plans or being asked what she would actually like to do. Fascinating. Complicating this budding relationship is the fact that Ginger is still very uncertain about going through with her divorce. She loves her husband. Oh, right. Okay. She's considering trying to mend the marriage. But on the other hand, she's kind of enjoying this single girl status and is getting attention from not just Howard Hughes, but a lot of different men, including Jimmy Stewart. Ginger and Jimmy are having a great time. They go dancing at the Trocadero or Ciro's. But on the other hand, there's a lot of hands here, Howard Hughes is also dating other women as well, including Catherine of Arrogance. I'm sorry, Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Catherine of Arrogance was her name. It yes. was one of her nicknames, nicknames in Hollywood. Yeah. So by early 1940, tired of the uncertainty, Howard Hughes insists that his attorney, Neil McCarthy, would handle finalizing Ginger's divorce. I'm done with this. Ginger, I want you. You need to be divorced. I'll get my guy on it. Ginger agrees. From this moment on, Howard again begins dominating her personal life. And just when she had started to grow apprehensive again, Howard Hughes comes with the jewelry tray and a stunning five-carat square-cut engagement ring and will propose to Ginger Rogers. Full of sweeping romantic gestures, Howard is, although volatile, Hughes will now purchase 138 acres of land on Cahuenga Peak overlooking Lake Hollywood. Howard Hughes will take Ginger Rogers there and tells her he's going to build a home for her. But again... With this step, Hughes becomes even more controlling. Soon enough, Ginger Rogers realizes that Howard Hughes is having her followed. Mm. And even suspects that he's having her telephones tapped. Oh my god. How does she take that? Well, she will realize that this is all a little too much for her when he tries to restrict, Howard Hughes does, how often she talks to her mother. And when he insisted, this is the real breaking point, that she go to his dentist with him to get her teeth cleaned, too. Little his and hers visit there. So he's a controlling dude. Very much so. We've got a few spider webs on this for Patreon this week, but it is then that Ginger's good friend and writer Alden Nash tells Ginger that he had been seeing Howard Hughes's car parked overnights at a young actress's house Ooh. that lived down the road from him. Wow. 
Ginger Rogers decides this is the last straw. We'll break off the engagement. She will write, I knew I was right and time proved it. Howard wanted to get himself a wife, build her a house, and make her a prisoner in her own home while he did as he pleased. Hmm. That's what happened to Jean Peters. Thank heavens I escaped that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, Howard, let's put you back in the drawer here. Let's get to Ginger Rogers' romance with Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart. Everyone loves Jimmy Stewart. Although they were really private about it at the time, Ginger Rogers and Jimmy Stewart were romantically involved. The two had co-starred in the film Swing Time in 1936 and Vivacious Lady in 1938. They had fallen in love. Although Ginger Rogers writes about their romance very sweetly in her memoir, Jimmy Stewart is a little bit more revealing in his autobiography. Jimmy Stewart will say that Ginger Rogers was the first woman that he had sex with. It's love or something like it. The two, Ginger and Jimmy, will remain friends even after their romance fades. In 1946, Ginger Rogers, I don't know if you know this, turns down the role of Mary Bailey opposite Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. Hmm. That role will go to Donna Reed, but Ginger Rogers turns it down because she feels the character is just too dull. Goodness, let's go ahead and get to marriage number three. This is to Jack Briggs. It is during World War II. Ginger Rogers, like so many other Hollywood stars, is pulling her part in the war effort. Ginger Rogers works with the USO, selling war bonds and visiting military camps and hospitals. In September 1942, the USO requests that Ginger travels to several cities in the southwestern United States, including Corpus Christi, El Paso, Albuquerque, and Tucson. This is over a 10-day period. It is during her visit at the Marine Corps Base Camp Elliott in San Diego that Ginger meets a charming Marine, Private <laughs> First Class Jack Briggs. Hmm. Jack Briggs, you know, they like assignments in the military. His assignment is to escort Ginger Rogers around the camp. Yeah, that's pretty plum duty right there. The two get along really well. And when it's time for Ginger to leave... She tells Jack Briggs that if he's ever in Los Angeles right. or gets a, you know, weekend leave, here are my digits. Mm -hmm. Strapping young Marine. All right. She wrote that the invitation was made spontaneously and as a courtesy, not ever really actually expecting to hear from Jack Briggs again. But lo and behold, two weeks later, who shows up in L.A.? Taking up Ginger Rogers on her invitation. I mean, you invited me. I'm here. Jack Briggs, his visit goes well. He asks if he could call her again the next time he was in L.A., and Ginger says sure. So then they begin to see each other pretty regularly. One day after playing tennis, Jack Briggs asks Ginger, what would you think of being married to a man in the Marine Corps? And Ginger responds by saying, you know, I'm a few years older than you are, and still you ask me that question you realize we've only known each other for three months. Smooth talker Jack Briggs says, well, I couldn't love you anymore if I had known you for three years. Mm. And with that not-so-stunning piece of vocal persuasion, 
Ginger Rogers agrees to get married for the third time. The couple will exchange vows January 16, 1943 in Pasadena, California. Ginger will write, Jack Briggs seems so right for me. After my brief teenage marriage to Jack Culpepper and the sad breakup with Lou Ayers, I was ready for a new partner and hopeful it would last. It did not. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Ginger. Okay, so we're going back to the feet here. It's very strange. So they get married. Ginger's in a new role, and it doesn't take long before Jack gets shipped out, but there's one day that Jack comes home complaining how his feet are killing him after a day of marching at the core, and he tells Ginger that his socks are full of blood. And she's like, I dance all day. Why are your socks full of blood? And Jack Briggs tells her that ever since he was a kid, he had hundreds of warts on the bottom of his feet and toes and explained that whenever he had to be on his feet for long periods of time, they would begin bleeding. Jack's upset because once, right, the base knows about this, they're like, you need to go into sick bay for three weeks. And he's afraid his battalion's going to ship out mm-hmm. while he's in sick bay and leave him behind, and he's ready to go fight in the action of the war. Mm-hmm. Ginger takes this opportunity, like a good faithful person she is, to try to coerce Jack Briggs to her Christian science religious principles. He goes to see a Christian science practitioner. And the practitioner says, I have the solution for all of those bloody warts on your feet. You should memorize these certain Bible passages and pray with me. So during his visit with the practitioner, she tells Jack that God was in charge and everything will be fine. You'll see. You will not have to go into your sick bay. Jack spends the next few days in prayer studying the Bible. And a few days later, Ginger recalls being scared when she hears him scream from the bathroom during the shower. She runs in to see what happened and he says, look, 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 they're gone. Can you see they're gone? Which naturally, of course, attributes the miraculous healing of his feet to prayer and belief in Christian science. Mm Mm-hmm. In December 1943, Jack is shipped out to the South Pacific, and during his time overseas, Ginger is busy shooting films and making radio broadcasts and helping out with the war efforts through appearances selling war bonds. After his deployment is over, Jack makes it home safely from the war, and the two are overjoyed to be together again for the time being. They last for a little while. It's December 1948, though that major changes happen within Ginger Rogers' life. Her seven-year contract with RKO was mutually canceled. Ginger also decides to cancel her marriage at this time to Jack Briggs. Ginger says she will end the marriage because of Jack's excessive drinking. Hmm. Not the foot warts. (laughs) Not the foot warts. Uh, Ginger (laughs) thinks the war had changed Jack a lot. And his alcohol consumption had now become destructive as a result of the war. The couple will divorce and Ginger Rogers never hears from him again. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. However, one of Jack's Marine friends will later tell Ginger Rogers that after their divorce, Jack had quit drinking, gotten remarried, and was very successful in Mm. his career. Oh, that's nice. 
<laughs> we got two more husbands to go through. Okay. Now's a great time to take a pause, take a breath. Four and five. Back after the flip. Okay. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, so she's married a dancer, she's married an actor, she's married a Marine. None of it went right. Wait till you meet the attorney. Oh, <laughs> it's time for the fourth marriage to Jacques Bergerac. There is a party in ah, the lovely Paris in 1952 that Ginger Rogers will meet a very handsome, very young lawyer from Biarritz named Jacques Bergerac. So, French lawyer. French lawyer. Ooh la la. And Ginger is immediately smitten by the charming Frenchman. She's on her way to Cannes. So, they agree to pick up their fascination with each other there. Paris was fun, mm -hmm. but have you tried Cannes? It is here on the Mediterranean coast. Ginger Rogers and Jacques Bergerac are followed around by paparazzi everywhere they go. Pictures of them start showing up in magazines and newspapers with titles like Ginger and Her New Beau. The two of them enjoy traveling around the south of France. They play tennis, they swim, they dance. They visit beautiful and quaint little towns despite being followed by a pack of international photographers. Mm. <laughs> All vacations must come to an end, though, and Ginger Rogers' six-week French vacation has reached its conclusion. Ginger will book passage on the Queen Elizabeth to return back to America. And the day before she's scheduled to go, Jacques begs Ginger to stay. Ginger says, I'd love to stay, Jacques, but I have to get back because I have meetings at the studio. My work doesn't stop. And Jacques says, how about getting married? Ginger writes... They've known each other how long now? Like a week? <laughs> Six weeks? Ginger writes, Marriage had never entered my thoughts. Was I crazy enough to consider this? Yes, I said to myself, <laughs> I am. Not sure what to do, but feeling that her heart was screaming Y-E-S, she tells Jacques that if he comes to America, she would marry him. She felt that if he was willing to do that, then she would be convinced. She should marry him. Just kind of a backward logic, but hey. September the 10th, Ginger Rogers boards the Queen Elizabeth and begins her journey home. And now she's got a little time to think with all the decks and seaside views. Ginger's contemplating the possibility of her new marriage. She begins to wonder what people would say about her marrying a younger man. 
again. Ginger at the time is 42. Okay. Jacques is 26. Not the biggest age difference we've seen. Ginger writes, I stopped myself and said, the heck with people. Why is it that a man can marry a younger woman, but people frown on a woman who marries a younger man? I've always been puzzled by that. Whose business is it, except for the two people involved? Jealousy of others may be one answer. Those who are jealous sometimes wish they could find that exhilarating happiness with anyone. We're not done yet, though. Wait for it. Because Ginger gets home. And her mother, who apparently all she does is sit and answer phone calls for her daughter, Ginger Rogers, <laughs> has a stack of messages. We got a real blast from the past here. Those stack of messages are from Greg Boutzer. Greg Boutzer, we've heard in a thousand stories. He is the prominent lawyer in Hollywood. Holy cats. Greg Boutzer has called four times a day. When is Ginger getting home? When is Ginger getting home? And see, Greg Boutzer had met Ginger at a party shortly after her divorce from Jack Briggs. Greg Boutzer is tall. He's handsome. He's a prominent lawyer. Ginger Rogers describes him as bachelor number one in Hollywood. Now, Greg Boutzer has quite a story of his own. He was engaged to actresses, plural, Barbara Payton, Dorothy Lamore, and Lana Turner. He was married to socialite Marion Johns and actresses Buff Cobb and Diana Winter. Greg Boutzer, this is how you know of his name, also has a well-known four-year romance with Joan Crawford. Greg, as a Hollywood attorney, will represent, holy cats, Ingrid Bergman, Joan Crawford, Kurt Kerorkian, Howard Hughes, William Billy Wilkerson, and Ginger Rogers. Quite the resume. Fun for Ginger Rogers, Greg Boutzer is also an excellent dancer. Greg and Ginger spend many nights dancing at the Trocadero, Ciro's, Coconut Grove. Ginger gets home. Day after she gets home, Greg Boutzer comes for a visit. And they make small talk for a little while. And he looks at her and he finally says, What is it about this fellow Bergerac? Is he important? And Ginger responded that she didn't know exactly and asked him why. Boutzer says, Look, do you want to get married? Is that it? And Ginger now realizes that Greg Boutzer is proposing to her. And she tells him it's a few years too late, man. So finding himself without much to say, Greg Boutzer puts his hat on and says, I hope you'll be very happy. And he walks through the living room and slams the front door. Because when they had dated earlier, Greg was quick to send her flowers when an important event in her life happened and is generous with other gifts. But there are times where his jealous nature shows itself too. Well, there's one night Ginger's dog wakes her up because he'd heard a noise outside her bedroom window. The dog's racing around the room from window to window, and Ginger looks out the window and sees a leg swinging over the 12-foot fence in her yard. 12-foot fence. Yikes. He saw her face, Greg Boutzer did at the window, and quickly jumps down to disappear into the bushes. <laughs> she says, I know, I know it's Greg because he's wearing the same hat that he always wore. <laughs> About Greg Boutzer, the romance that does not happen, Ginger Rogers will write, I often speculated on what marriage would have been like with this fascinating, erratic, and sometimes highly angry individual. 
However, I recalled that our dates would go from pleasant to tepid to cool to argumentative until I gradually felt that if we had married, I would have always suffered the disadvantage of being an adversary to one who earns his living by winning arguments. I always hated to see Greg angry. It changed his handsome demeanor. And now he had made the grand gesture and I refused him. As much as I adored him, I wouldn't be sorry. It's a big week getting back from your French vacay because Ginger's been home one entire week without hearing anything from Jacques Bergerac. She begins to worry that he, in fact, has decided not to come to America. She also realizes that he can't practice law over here until he passes the bar exam in California. But Ginger's worries were for naught. A few days later, she gets a call from him, Jacques, saying, I'll be there in three weeks. Just four months after Jacques arrives in America, he and Ginger marry in a small ceremony in Palm Springs, California, on February 7th, 1953. It is in December of 1953 that Ginger is cast to play the leading role in a movie with British Lion Film Corporation. This film would be called Beautiful Stranger in England, but is released called Twist of Fate in the United States. Ginger is certain that her new husband would be perfect for the leading man role. And she insisted that Jacques be cast. She told the producer she would only do the film if her new husband, Jacques Bergerac, was her leading man. And they were both delighted, Ginger and Jacques, when the producer and director agree. One night while filming, Jacques wakes Ginger up in the middle of the night and says, I can't sleep because these darn boils hurt. Sorry, what? <laughs> boils. Uh -huh. You know, you get boils sometimes. It's kind of like the warts on the feet. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ginger has an idea. She's fine. She's like, I'm going to call this Christian science practitioner. And Jacques is like, sure, why not? So she'll call the practitioner who speaks with Jacques about the boils that he has and the practitioner tells him to go to bed and repeat the Lord's Prayer and call them back tomorrow. I'm I'm getting a real Ginger Rogers was into guys with skin conditions vibe Ginger? here. Uh, it's <laughs> Ginger claims a few hours later, Jacques wakes her up again and asks for a towel because all the boils are draining. It's a miracle. <laughs> And by the next day, she wrote that they were completely gone and his skin was as smooth as ever. This episode brought to you by Christian Science. Wow, right? <laughs> okay, so Ginger Rogers will work consistently in films and television. Jacques and Ginger continue traveling, but it is by mid-1957, the marriage is over. What happens? Ginger discovers that Jacques had been unfaithful to her. And Ginger's deeply hurt and knows in her heart that she cannot remain with him. In her memoir, Ginger will conclude her thoughts about Jacques Bergerac this way. He was always very friendly and affectionate to me whenever we met in public after our divorce, which was rarely. The truth is, for a few lovely years, Jacques Bergerac was my knight in shining armor and bless his heart, that's the way I'll always see him. Hmm. All right, 
Four out of five down. Everybody take a stretch. We're getting on to our last marriage, this time with William Marshall. In the summer of 1960, Ginger had just finished performing in a traveling tour of the musical comedy, Annie Get Your Gun. At this time, Ginger will meet an actor named G. William Marshall at a few parties over the course of several weeks. Marshall pays Ginger a great deal of attention and always seeks her out when they are at the same party. During their conversations, Ginger learns that William Marshall had been married to a French actress with whom they shared a son, a teenage son. William's living in the San Fernando Valley, and he wants to send his son to UCLA in a few years, and Ginger loves this. She's very impressed with how grounded William Marshall seemed. He's such a family man. Look how responsible he is. The two start dating, They see each other regularly for about six months. And one evening, there's a romantic dinner, and William asks Ginger if she ever planned to marry again, and she said that she hoped to. William responds by asking if she would marry him. Ginger does not automatically say yes. Ginger's a little concerned because sometimes she could smell liquor on Mm. William's breath. And she asked him, you know, do you drink? And if so, how often? Because that really doesn't work for me. Saying, I really have to know from you, honestly, what alcohol means to you. Because I just don't want to marry someone who drinks. And after a few silent moments, William Marshall replies, alcohol means nothing to me. I promise you. I have a feeling... With that assurance, Ginger Rogers agrees to marry for the fifth and final time. She'll marry William Marshall on March 16th, 1961 in Santa Monica. How many weeks do you think it takes before she realizes she's made a terrible mistake? Oh, we're talking weeks? Oh my God. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Now, she had complained to a friend shortly after the marriage. Okay, so shortly after two weeks. Mm -hmm. That Bill was a drinker and if she had known that beforehand she never would have married him and her friend says why didn't you ask me i would have told you realizing that she had made a terrible mistake does ginger rogers decide just to cut her losses and run like get an annulment it's inside of two weeks we can be done with this nice and easy does she i'm guessing she does not it's another one of our famous tropes around here I can fix him, yes. Got it. I can fix him. I can change him. Right. Let's go consult our Christian science practitioner. After the marriage ends, almost 10 years later. Oh, wow. uh Uh-huh. Ginger said she could not explain why she had stayed for so long in a tumultuous and unhappy marriage. Hmm. She'll write, My only defense is he was my husband and I was trying to make my marriage work. I had given up on other men because of alcohol, and I didn't want to quit again. I figured I could change Bill, and I tried. But during ten years of prayer and beseeching him, telling him it would be curtains for us if he didn't quit drinking completely, his response was to avoid the subject or to avoid me. Hmm. Oddly enough, the last straw is not the alcohol or the constant fighting or the avoidance. In 1970, Ginger Rogers learns that William, husband number five, 
was having several affairs with younger women and, and, okay, because that's bad. It's pretty bad. You're a secret drinker. You're kind of mean to me. You're screwing around with a lot of younger girls, but also that you have taken my jewelry without my permission and sold it to support your lifestyle. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of trust violations all rolled into one. Ginger realizes, like so many of us, that she cannot fix him. In fact, he'll do things that are even worse and she will file for divorce. Special update. Almost 10 years later, after that, after the divorce, the couple who had purchased Ginger Rogers' beloved home at 1605 Gilcrest tells her, Ginger Rogers, this couple does, that they find bottles of apricot brandy hidden in the crawl space above the library closet. So he never quit drinking at home. Wow. They would just find little bottles stashed around. Ten years later. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Ginger Rogers would never marry again. (laughs) Ginger Rogers will pass away April 25th, 1995 at her Rancho Mirage home from a heart attack. She was 83 years old at the time of her death. Ginger Rogers was a multifaceted and complex person, pioneer in her field, consistently fought for the equality of women in Hollywood. Often her contributions are under-recognized and her talent, I think, is not fully appreciated. But she was much more than the glamorous blonde dancing next to Fred Astaire. With all of the tributes about Ginger Rogers and all the films that she made, there's none more fitting than what was said about her in the syndicated comic strip Frank and Ernest in 1982 with the caption. Fred Astaire was great, but don't forget that Ginger Rogers did everything he did backwards and in high heels. Yep. Good, good quote. Ginger Rogers, welcome. To the Trashy Divorces <laughs> Hall of Fame. So, Alicia, do you have a trash can number in mind for this one? You know, not too many, but I think that they're all located on, like, warts on Warts and Boils Alley. Warts and Boils! This is my new, when something excitable happens, I'm going to be like, Warts and Boils! Around the corner from the Christian Science Coffee <laughs> Shop. I don't know. Don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Like, Ginger Rogers, the theme song for this was almost Goody Two-Shoes, except for all the dancing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Ginger Rogers, pretty tame, right? As trashy goes, but truly did it backwards and in high heels. Five up, five down with the marriage dance. And, you know, a little inclusion of Howard Hughes, who gets so many trash cans. Always. All conveniently located on jewelry trays. <laughs> exactly. So that was a great story. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to listen. Yeah, there's still a lot within that story that gets its own very spiderwebs follow-up on Patreon this week. That's coming for you along with ad-free episodes, mm-hmm. bonus episodes like Dumpster Dive and Nightcap Chat 2. Zoom Hangouts. We do a lot. We do a lot. We love it over there. We love it here, too. Thanks again for joining us. We're going to see you back on Wednesday. We're Stacy. You're taking it away this week. I am headed for a catwalk. Hmm. Hmm. Until we meet again then, friends. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy, friends.
Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all